you know, I don't know who needs it, but I, I sense that God has had a plan in this. And so it's going to be preached, and we're going to look at these scriptures. Um, but I don't know, you know, I do know one thing, is that growing things, as I said earlier, anything that's growing, that would be us, as disciples, that would be us in our spiritual walk, anything that's growing needs continual maintenance. It needs nurturing, it needs watering, it needs food, it needs care, it needs encouragement to keep going. Um, and if we, we, we need to receive those things to keep living, right? Uh, because all of us are tempted at times to do what? To give up. We're, we're tempted to not endure. We're tempted to kind of begin to take one step at a time away from life and, and the things that bring us life, the things that God has called us to do. And that's just kind of a common thing this, these days even, and even in our culture, that if something doesn't fit quite right, I just quit it, right? I mean, I just move on to something else. If I've got to wait at all, I bail, because I don't want to wait at all, right? And, and so we have this tendency within us as human beings, uh, and the evil one knows that, to get discouraged by things, to kind of little by little walk away and wander from things, uh, and just quit or give up. And, and I hope if that's you this morning, you're going to find encouragement to not do that. Don't give up. Don't give up. And especially don't give up on God. And don't give up on prayer. Either one of those things. Don't give up. Don't believe the lies of the world that these other things can make you happy and these other things lead to life for you. And if you just stay with them long enough, you'll get there. <coughs> don't believe it. There's only life in one, th one person and one thing, and that's in Jesus Christ. That's in a relationship with God. He is the way, the truth, the life. So don't give up. Don't give up. Wait. But some are saying, you know, I've been waiting a long time. I I've been waiting in prayer for a long time. I've been praying over certain things. I'm not hearing anything. I'm not getting anything. I'm stuck. Well, how long have you waited? I I'm here to ask you that. How long have you waited on a customer service line before somebody answered, but you hung in there? Think about that. How long have you waited? You know that the call center industry says this. They said that basically their standard is 80-20. 80% of their calls, that when you call a, a customer service line, 80% of the calls will be answered within 20 seconds. 20 seconds. That's what they claim. So 80% of the time you call, you're going to get an answer right away. Do you know that? Because most of the time we want to give up and we, we feel tempted to give up because we don't know how things work. We don't have a knowledge or experience of how they work and because of that we want to give up. Did you know that? But 32% of customers that call a service line, do you know what they believe? They shouldn't have to wait at all. Is that you? Raise your hand if that's you. I shouldn't have to wait at all. But the fact of the matter is you might wait. Do you know that the vast majority of people, 60% of folks, if you have to wait one minute on a customer service line, you know what you do? You hang up. 60% of people, if they have to wait one minute, 
Well, hang up. You know how long I waited one time on a Verizon helpline? <laughs> Who said that? You're right. I sat in the parking lot of a Verizon store because my wife and others were in the store, and I was so, you know, at that point I was a little younger, and I was a little more idealistic about stuff, and boy, the tension was getting me, and Jody said, you go outside and get on that phone call because she felt like, she said to me, she goes, Kelly, they got a police officer right over there. Because I was about ready to say, I don't, I don't have the time for this. I've been here forever. And I waited outside in the car on a service line for an hour. But I was bound and determined for somebody to pick up, and they finally did. And did I get my answer to answer? No. <laughs> but I got somebody to answer me, and eventually it all worked out, and eventually I grew up too. You gotta know how things work. We have to understand and have experience on how things work. Because if we don't, we get discouraged. <coughs> and we wanna give up. And we wanna quit. A Gallup poll that, that was done this past year of Americans has found that God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil, all in all those five entities, belief in them have dropped severely since 2001. They have dropped severely. Can you imagine? By almost 20 points, or 20%. That's pretty uh, amazing. 74% of Americans believe in God now. In 2001, it was 90% of Americans. 83% of people believed in heaven in 2001. Only 67% believe in heaven now. 71% believed in hell, only 59% believe in hell now. And belief in the devil, well, 68% believed in him in 2001, so that's a pretty fairly low number as it was. It's down now to 58% that believes there's actually a devil. Only 51%, just over half, about half, of people believe in all the five entities of Americans. And those 55 years and older, they tend to believe a little more. Those that are 18 to 34 years old, they believe a lot less. Wow. People are giving up. More and more people are giving up on God. More and more people are giving up on the Bible. Reading the Bible. Looking to it. Knowing that it is living and active. And it is God's word. 80% of folks, you heard me say this not long ago, 80% of believers in the church, the only exposure they get to the Bible is on Sunday mornings when the preacher preaches. We're not in God's word. We're not abiding in it. We're not letting it dwell within us, in us richly. And because of it, we're giving up. We're being marginalized. We're being moved to the side because of that. Some are giving up on prayer. Prayer. Could it be that we're giving up on God, the Bible, and prayer because we really don't know how they operate, how they really work? Could that be why? I really think it is. Could it be that it's because we have insufficient knowledge or experience with these things, and because we've had insufficient knowledge and experience of them, we draw these conclusions and perceptions that are false, and we believe those things about God. I can remember when I believed that prayer was a crutch and that God was a crutch. 
And I, I know there was a time when I believed there was no one there. Hey, I asked him to show himself to me. He didn't show himself to me. <laughs> if he's there, if he's God, if he's so big and bad, why isn't he saying anything? Why isn't he doing anything? And so we create these perceptions. And because of it, we're never able to know how wonderful and amazing God is. How wonderful and amazing the Bible is. How wonderful and amazing prayer is. It's so wonderful, amazing, so powerful. But we just marginalize it. And, we're, and then, we, then we kind of make excuses. And we're just getting further and further away. This morning, if that's you and you find yourself there, I hope you find encouragement this morning. I hope you do. I know that many of us might be tempted to give up on these things, but I hope that after today, you're not tempted anymore and you have more strength to stand up. So I want you to read with me a parable. It's a parable of a persistent widow. It's a parable that Jesus told his disciples so that they wouldn't give up, but they would always pray. They wouldn't give up, but always pray. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. This is a familiar passage to some of us, but it's a great passage. A passage of encouragement. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. You see right away, you have two characters. An unjust judge, a character that has a tremendous amount of power and ability to do things, to answer, to make things happen. And then you have a widow. She has no one in that society to advocate for her. She has no power, no ability to get what she wants other than standing on the truth and seeking the only person who could give her that help. So it goes on. For some time, it says, this evil, unjust judge refused. But finally, <coughs> he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to see that she gets justice so that she doesn't eventually come and attack me. Or others, translation said, so that she doesn't eventually come and just wear me out by her continual coming. Because this woman was coming again and again and again and again. She was not giving up. She was not quitting. She was relentless. She was tenacious. She was sold out. She was coming again and again. And then the Lord says this to his disciples. Listen to what the unjust judge said, says. And then he says... And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it because you should know the answer to it. Right? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he, God Almighty, will see that they get justice. And quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Wow. What a powerful, powerful little parable. 
What's it talk to us about not giving up? How does it encourage us about not giving up on God in prayer? How does it encourage us? What we discovered from our parable is that this unjudged judge, right, is unwilling to help or respond to this widow's plea for help and justice. But in comparison and, and in contrast, God is not an unwilling judge who is looking to judge you harshly or to make you wait mercilessly until you've done penance to earn the right to be heard. God is the complete opposite of this unjust judge. Is that your image of God? Is that how you see the Almighty? See, I, I, would, I would venture to say that our culture says that God is out there looking to judge you. God is looking out there to, to pound you, first mistake you make. You know, you've got to run. You've got you to be careful. You've got to hide. You've got you to put on your best clothes and your best attitude around God because God's, he's not real happy with you or he's really temperamental. But this tells us, no, God's not like that. Rather, those who cry to God in prayer, honestly and humbly, they're gonna, he's going to respond quickly to their need and to the request for justice. Why? Because they are his disciples, his chosen ones, his family. That's why. That's why. When my family comes to me, I act pretty quickly. That is, if I can't make up a good excuse for not doing what they ask me to do. I act pretty quickly, and you know why? Because they're my family. They're the ones who can just, they don't have to knock, and they can just come into my bedroom when I'm sitting in my underwear watching TV or just trying to take a nap. Huh? Too much? Too much. You know, they're the ones that can do that. They're the ones that can wake me out of a dead sleep and say, I need you to take me somewhere in the middle of the night, or I need your help with this, or my hot water heater just busted and it's flowing out water, I need help to repair it and change it, or, you know, it goes on and on. Your family, your, your chosen ones, those people who are close to you, people who are close friends to you, they can ask you to do anything and you respond and you do it. Because they're chosen. They're our disciples. Jesus said, you're my disciples. You've been chosen. You're in my family. And I will act quickly for you. So why don't we sometimes feel like we get justice from God quickly? Or he answers us quickly. Could it be that we're not living like family? Like we're chosen? Like we're disciples? Maybe. Because hear what else God has to say in his word about us who know him. God says this in John 1, 10 through 13, and it'll be up on the board behind me. He said this. This is what John wrote. He, that's Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those, and there were many that were religious who said they were followers of God, and they were Pharisees and Sadducees and Levites and others. They're followers of God. They really weren't, because they weren't ready to receive his Messiah. 
And so it says, yet to all who would receive him. Are you willing to receive him? To those who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born by the choice of God. God chose you. He chose me. If you're his disciple today, and you are now his child, you're in his family, you have special access. You have received him. That means you have submitted to his authority and have accepted him as the Lord and God of your life. You are his disciple. Then it says in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, For he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. That means be set apart and blameless in his sight. In love, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It was God's pleasure and will to adopt you and to adopt me and to bring us into his family. He loves us. He's there for us. He's been willing to do all the hard work to get us into his family. And then finally, in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, it says, while Jesus was in one of those towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. See, leopards were considered cursed of God, and they weren't supposed to be around other people or around the community. They were never supposed to come up to a spiritual teacher or leader because God's curse was upon them. They were wrong. The culture was wrong. The religious establishment was wrong. It wasn't true. But when this leper, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground. He submitted. He surrendered. And he begged him. He says, Lord, if you're willing... The whole society would have said, no, you're an outcast. You're judged. Just go somewhere and die because you don't deserve to be healed. And what does the God of the universe say through Jesus, his son? When he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him and he said, I Always remember that. Whenever you pray, your heavenly Father, the God you worship and follow, is willing. I am willing. I'm willing to bring justice into your life. I'm willing to meet your needs. I'm willing to guide and lead you. I am willing, he said, be clean. And he gave forth healing power. And immediately the leprosy left that man. God is willing to help you and me. He's willing to answer. Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? And if he doesn't answer quickly, it's because there's something else going on. And maybe something has to happen before the right answer can come. See, maybe God has something better or greater instead for you. So if you're praying and you're locked into a certain thing, and God's not giving you that answer, maybe you need to stop and say, God, am I asking the right questions? Am I seeking the right things? Do you want something else from me? Because maybe I came to prayer, or I came to the Lord with too much expectation already. I had my mind made up that this was God's will, and maybe it wasn't. 
Oh, man, I've done that so many times. You've heard me say that. You know, I, I always talk about my Harley. You know, I remember thinking, oh, well, I don't deserve a Harley. I shouldn't get one. I don't have. It's not my lane. I got too big of a family. I don't have the income for that. Da, da, da. And then the Lord said, I never said that. Where'd you get that? You know what? You want it. Why don't you ask me for it? So I asked him, and he said, yeah, you can get it. So I asked my family, what do you think? And they all go, Dad, go get it and shut up. <laughs> right? Just go get it. You know, God's good, isn't he? And sometimes God has said, no, you're asking for the wrong thing. You need to ask for this instead. See, God is good. He's willing. Are we willing? See, that's the big question. Are we willing, though? He's willing. He's either going to not do it because he wants something better, or there's something other matter that needs to be settled first, or we need to sit down and repent of our expectation that we had that, overwrote, that was overriding his will, or of some sin that we might be involved in, or something that he might want us to do first. He's not like, you don't see him over here like riding us like a rented mule. God doesn't treat us like that. He treats us like the loving father he is. We are his children, and he wants us to grow and learn. And he wants us to, be, he wants us to celebrate his love. He wants us to be at peace and feel the peace of a secure home and a Lord that loves us. That's what he wants. Are we willing? But see, this kind of leads us to our next point this morning. And it really deals with our will. And this is the secret of prayer and having prayer being answered. And I want you really to think about this and pray about this honestly. Many people, like I said before, are going to say, well, I'm praying, but they're not really praying. Right? We always say that prayer is a relationship. It's a communication of love between two people who love one another and two people who have a real relationship with one another. But what if you don't have a relationship with God, really? How are you going to pray? Think about this. See, I've heard people say, I tried prayer once and it didn't work, right? And then I asked God to speak to me and I got nothing. And of course, I understand that because I, I said some of those same things. Let me tell you something. Is this the kind of attitude, arrogant, negotiating, doubting, testing? Is this the way to address the almighty supreme leader and creator of the universe? You're coming before him with audience before him? Do you come before him like the, challenging him like that? How far do you think you go if you were to challenge anybody? in authority, how far do, you, do your kids go if they challenge you as a parent in your authority? Okay. What do you got for me? No. No. Because you're not ready to listen. And God knows that. Jesus addressed the futility of praying with this type of attitude in the next parable in, in Luke 18. See, you're not praying if you're challenging. You're not praying if you're coming to God with all sorts of doubt. James even told us that if you come to God, it says God will give you wisdom and he'll give it without finding fault. 
He will. But if you come, you've got to believe without doubting, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. You shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because you're a double-minded person, unstable in all your ways. You don't know who's the Lord yet in your life. You don't know who you're trusting yet. And is it okay to be there? Yeah, it's okay to be there. All of us were there at times. But we have to realize, I've got I've to let that go. I've got to see God for who he really is. He's willing. And I've got to be as willing as he is. <laughs> and so my will has to change. I've got to repent of my willfulness. And so this parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14, speaks to this attitude. And it's just the next parable on this passage, and I want to read it with you. And I've got it actually in my notes here. And this is what this passage says, and you can read it on the board. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious leader, and the other a tax collector, a scumbag in that society. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Wow. He was full of himself. But the tax collector, what did he do? He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He had an idea. He knew who he was. He had an idea of his need. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's a man who is repenting. Here's a man who is confessing the truth. As opposed to this Pharisee who is not and who is justifying himself. He says, I'm a sinner. And then what does Jesus say? I tell you, this man, this, this tax collector, this sinner... Rather than this Pharisee, this religious leader, they went, he went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, true prayer begins with surrendering your will first before asking anything of God. True prayer begins by surrendering your will first before asking anything of God. When I first came to know God as Lord and Savior, you remember my first prayer? When I just slammed my fist into the pillow and I looked up to the sky in my room, I said, God, if you are there, when are you ever going to save me from myself? I need you. I want to be saved from myself. I was repenting. I was willing in that prayer. And what happened for the very first time, something snapped above me. That's all I remember. Something snapped, and in my heart I knew there was a God who was there. And then I said, God, show me yourself. Lead me to you then. Show me the truth. And I eventually discovered that it was Jesus, and I found the truth. See, it's our surrendered will. Our wills must be surrendered first before asking anything of God. The surrender of the widow's will, it was so complete and sold out that this unjust judge characterize her attitude and actions as that of a boxer. I don't know if you know that, but some of the modern translations kind of downplay this a little bit, but the verb in, in verse 5 actually reads, because this widow causes trouble for me, I'll give her justice so that she may not in the end 
give me a black eye by her coming. It was a boxing term. It was like she was coming as relentless and as physical and as violent as a boxer would come upon someone. Wow. She was surrendered. She was sold out. Man, she was sold out to the only one in her culture who could give her help. Are we sold out like that to our Lord and our God? Father, test my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. I love the humility of that prayer in the Psalms. Is that your prayer? Is that your heart? See, God will not turn you away. You can expect to receive from the Lord if that's your heart. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> and he will lift you up. He's there. He'll do it. And he's trying to encourage his people with this passage. Tell them, I'll do it. But you've got to surrender your will to me. And you've got to do that first. And you've got to believe that I am willing. Do you believe that he's willing? That God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him? God, it says that in Hebrews. He who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, there, it, it kind of cues us into one more thing that leads us to our last point. Diligence. You know, my, and really it's persistence. My alma mater, uh, I'm not going to mention their name, uh, they kind of fell out of favor with me for a number of reasons, and I won't go into that, where I went to school, college, and played football. Um, but they have been sending me these requests for alumni data uh, verification, and they've just been sending them all through this last year, right? I'm here to tell you, they have sent me more notifications by mail and cards and things, and by emails then I can really shake a stick at. So many, I can hardly remember. I intended, at first, I looked and went, eh, uh, they don't need to know any updated information on me. I'm not going to get back to them. And then, little by little, I thought, ah, oh, maybe I should do that. And, you know, even though they're not on my good side, uh, maybe I should do that. And now, because I kid you not, I probably have received up to 30 requests. Who does that? They are just persistent as all get out. <coughs> and I remember the last one I got, I am just chuckling. And I'm like going, now I'm almost in inspired to respond. Because they have just been relentless and persistent. <coughs> and I'm here to tell you something. Who's ever run in that program, they know this, this third point. Persistence is the evidence of faith and surrender. It is. It shows you have faith and that your will is surrendered if you stay persistent because you know how things work and you know that your father is willing. And you know that if you get your heart right or if he reveals to you you have something to get right, you can get it right, and then he'll give you what you need. He'll show you even if it's different than what you think. Man, my alma mater has helped me see that. <laughs> Persistence. Jesus' rhetorical question in verse 7 of our parable, will he keep putting them off? It kind of indicates something, and I'm here to be honest in this passage, that at times God does delay his answer. 
Sometimes in our need, sometimes in our suffering, God may not act on our timetable. Somebody say amen to that. He, you know, it may require us to wait. We might have to continue to trust him through a period of time. That's true. It's real. And in this waiting, though, and through this process, and in our ongoing dialogue with God as we're waiting, that's the evidence of our faith and surrender to him. See, that's the evidence of it. And, and in the, the appropriate time, God will favorably answer us because we have the faith and surrender to receive it. So don't, don't, be, don't, don't be afraid of it. Don't let it put you off. I want to encourage you with one more passage. It's not going to be up on the board, but if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew
In the Bible, promises that we must persistently pursue. God has given us his promise and his word, and we must persistently pursue them. We must stay in dialogue with him. He's a real being. He wants a real relationship, and we can do that. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on prayer just because you don't know how it works yet. You've learned some things about how prayer works, how God works, and how he operates. Receive it, walk in it, and find new encouragement and find new answers to prayer. Amen? I want to end with this, and it's kind of a fun little story that I ran into about persistence. And persistence in prayer. And it's found through a a story about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, her work over the life of her ministry took her to many places and took her among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. And many people know her story. And her many trips, though, abroad to raise awareness and money for her cause resulted in many stories being told about her because she was a pretty unique follower of Christ. So once Mother Teresa was in New York, and she was in New York to meet the president and vice president of a large company. And before the meeting, however, the two executives, the way you do sometimes as husband and wife, or as people, they decided, look it, we're going to hear what she has to say, but we're not giving her any money. We're not opening the checkbooks, okay? So let's just agree on that right now. We're not giving her any money. They agreed. But Mother Teresa, even though she was small, was powerful. Powerful in prayer. Powerful in ministry. Pretty wise and knew how things worked. And it says that she was seated across these two men over a very large desk. They listened to her plea, and then they said to her, we appreciate that you've come, we appreciate hearing from you, but we cannot give you any money or funds at this time. So Mother Teresa said, let's pray. And then she prayed, and she asked God to soften the hearts of these men. Lord, soften their hearts, open their hearts to see this need, and to be generous in giving. And after saying amen, she renewed her plea, asking them for money. And they renewed their answer that they were, they were committed and they couldn't commit any money to her. And so what did Mother Teresa do? She said, let's pray again. <laughs> and at that point, it says in the story, the executives looked at each other and said, where's the checkbook? <laughs> and they wrote her a check and gave her the money because they saw where it was going. Persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. It opens even the hardest hearts. 
It moves things. This morning, I want to invite you to stand. And I hope that you have more inspiration to not give up on God in prayer, knowing that God is willing to help or to answer you because you're his chosen. Knowing that as you surrender your will and faith to him first, you're now ready to receive his wisdom and his truth and to walk in it. Um, and he will, he will answer you. And persistence is evidence of your faith in, in surrender. Stay persistent. Stay with it until you hear, until you know, until you find what God has given you. Amen? That's, that's our call. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, bless us as your church body. Help us, Father, to be more blessed this week as we fellowship with you, as we understand more about the process of prayer and what it means to be in relationship with you and to get our prayers answered. Father, we just ask that you would grow our relationship and bless us, Lord, this week. We pray, Father, that you would show us what we are to stand in faith in and that we would stay persistent in prayer, persistent in pursuing your answer and your will in our lives. God, if there's any place that we have not surrendered to you as we've made requests, even if we haven't surrendered to you yet as Lord and Savior, God, help us to know that our prayers won't be answered until we do. We've got, to, we've got to submit ourselves to you. We've got to settle who's Lord of our lives. And then we've got to settle who's Lord of the situation we're praying over. So help us to do that, Lord, this week. And just lead us to greater blessing because of your great love for us. Thank you for leaving these stories in Scripture to encourage our hearts, to spur us on, uh, to show us the way. We're so grateful for them, Lord, and they are a blessing. And we thank you for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen. Amen. Before we go this morning, I want to encourage you to, to be a part of our care bags giving next, next Saturday. Show up at 9 o'clock, help us pack some bags, take them over to the assisted living uh, place and hand them out. It's going to be great. Uh, love to have you come and be a part of that. And if you have kids, bring them. Uh, because, indeed, the residents love to see the kids.